You're listening to episode 14 of Speaking with Deacon. Naked and not ashamed, seeing women through the Father's eyes. Speaking with Deacon is a production of the Perusia Podcast Network in partnership with Voice of Charity Australia and EWTN Asia Pacific. Join us as we discuss strategies that will empower us to announce the gospel of the Lord daily through our words and deeds. This is Speaking with Deacon. Hello and thanks for joining us once again on Speaking with Deacon. My name is Mark Griffin and as always joining me is Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Deacon Harold, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? It's great to see you. Yeah, good to be with you once again. Um, One thing that we're actually really looking forward to coming up is your trip and you're going to be here in person with us once again this year and we always look forward to your trips. I think it'll be trip number eight I think we've established for you down under and this time you're coming with Sonia Corbett and you're going to do a full uh, two around different parts of Australia, speaking on the topic of, of your book that you've written with Sonia Ignite. Can you tell us a bit about that book for those who didn't hear from, uh, hear from you about this particular upcoming tour last episode? Yes, excellent. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, the book that I co-wrote with Sonia Corbett is called Ignite, Read the Bible Like Never Before. And what we attempt to do in that book is to have people engage more deeply in Scripture, um, where they where their heart is more connected to the word of God. It's more a personal interaction with God through the word. So it's not a Bible study in the sense of, okay, let's go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, uh, uh, Joshua, Kings, and all the way through Revelation. This is more like, you know, when you hear the readings at mass, you know, um, do you really hear your story in God's word? Can you really feel as if God is speaking to you, to your life, to your situation, to your needs, to your heart? So what we try to do is to really have you engage scripture in such a way so that when you're listening to it at mass, when you're doing Lectio Divina, that means a a private prayerful reading of scripture. When you're in Eucharistic adoration, meditating on God's word, that you're really being nourished and fed by God's word. That you know that in the in the mass prepares our hearts, minds, and souls to then receive Him again in the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. So this book really helps you to um, engage Scripture in such a way to make it truly personal to your lived experience. Yeah, absolutely. We're really looking forward to having you both here. And in, in in conjunction with the book, you've also recorded with Sonia a full video series, and there's audio versions of that. So that will all be available. And you will get to meet the two authors in person if you are within the vicinity of us down here in Australia this July. So keep an eye on our events page. And as the details of each individual event are locked in, we will add them to the schedule on the events page. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to that trip. Um, what else have you been up to lately, Deacon Harold? You know, you're on the road and you you never stop, really, do you? <laughs> yeah, I'm traveling uh, every single week now, Mark. So it's uh, we're, we're kind of not... Exactly, but almost back to pre-COVID um, uh, travel schedule. Um, you know, so it is the busy time of year. So I'm on the road every single week. You know, yes. so and which is which is which is fine. I mean, it's probably pretty intense period, and then yeah. you know it it kind of drops off again. And I have some pilgrimages pilgrimages coming up as well. I'm heading to uh, Croatia and uh, Bosnia Herzegovina and uh, Montenegro and Italy with. Uh, Father Leo Padalinghug, 
So I'm looking right. forward to that coming up. And then uh, uh, I'm doing uh, three Steubenville conferences this year at the wow. University of Steubenville in Ohio. So, yeah, it's going very, very well. I'm very pleased. Of course, again, as you mentioned, looking very much looking forward uh, to being back down under as well as New Zealand. And one other place like Samoa or Fiji or something like that. But uh, yeah, yeah. looking forward to a, a busy uh, summer. Absolutely. And you know that if you're going on pilgrimage with Father Leo Padalinghug, you're going to be at least well-fed physically yes. <laughs> and hopefully spiritually along with that as well. So. That That is true. That is true. Yes. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> oh, no, it's good to see that all these events are back up and running and we've got some sort of normality back to, to life again when the, the world got crazy there for a while, but it seems we're back on track, which is fantastic. Now, today we're actually going to be examining more deeply a theme that came up in a, a previous discussion that we had a few episodes ago on the topic of reclaiming manhood. We're now going to discuss uh, in more depth the essential role of the Catholic man in honouring a woman's dignity, respecting her purity. Now, we were created to be naked and not ashamed, as were Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Now, in a world that we seem to have fallen such a long way from seeing things through this lens... We've forgotten uh, the way like St. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians when he says we should be temp we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We seem to have moved so far away from that. So it's actually a little bit hard to know where to begin this discussion, but it might be useful, as we've done so many times before on so many of our discussions, to head right back to Genesis. And let's just review how God sees us as man and woman. So firstly, how does God view man? What was man created for? And what is his mission? And then we'll move on to the same for woman. How does God see woman? What was she created for? And what's her mission? Yeah. So there's a couple of things to point out here. First of all, in Genesis chapter one, it says that man, and the word is Adam in Hebrew, and, and Adam has a sense of humanity in its fullness. It said we're made in God's image and likeness, right? And so we're made in God's image and likeness. Then it says male and female, he created them. See, so, so both man and woman are created equal in dignity before God, equally in God's image and likeness. See, so God, so, so when we look at each other, we need to see each other the way God sees us. That image and likeness of God, that spark of God's divine life, that's what we need to see in the person standing in front of us. You know, um, and so the words are ish and isha uh, in, in Hebrew. And so just to give a kind of a general idea of how to look at man and woman as being both in God's image and likeness. And why is this important? Because when we think of God as a Trinity, it's always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, where's the woman? <laughs> you know, I mean, where, where, where's this feminine part of God? Because it's always addressed with kind of like male um, titles. But but it, the, the scripture is very clear that woman is very much a part of the, the nature of God, I mean, this, this, this feminine aspect. So, mm -hmm. so how does that all, how does that all work together? So here's the way I think of it. When we think of course, and of course we can only speak of God by analogy, right? I mean, only by example, uh, because we, there's no way we can fully explain the mystery of who God is. Um, the, the only way we'll, in fact, when we get to heaven, we'll never fully understand the mystery of who God is, but at least on earth, we can come to know something about God that's been revealed to us. We can come to understand uh, the nature of God and how God relates to us, obviously in our limited human capacity, but, but what has been revealed to us through the word of God. So if we look at the idea of the Trinity, there's kind of two aspects 
of God's Trinitarian life that we look at. Um, and this is according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the teaching of the Church Fathers. There's the inner life of God and the outer life of God. So the inner life of God, if you will, um, there's fancy theological language that they use for this is called circumincession or divine perichoresis. Don't worry about those words, but here's the concept that it, 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 that means the inner life of God within himself. Okay. So in other words, when Jesus says in John's gospel, for example, the father and I are one, that means they're not the same person, but they share the same divine nature, right? Mm -hmm. So there's one God, one divine nature in three persons. So how is the, even though the father's not the son, how is the father in the son, right? So when Jesus, the father and I are one, what does that mean? And how is the son in the father and the Holy Spirit? How's the Holy Spirit in the father and the son? That relationship, that inner life of God within himself, the deep penetrating love of each of the persons for each other, continually pouring and receiving love, life, intimacy, and communion in the three persons uh, amongst themselves for all eternity. Okay, that, that's what we call the inner life of God. That's where I believe that God, when he created woman, he pulled from his heart, if you will. Okay, again, using human terms to describe this inner life of God uh, would be God's heart. So God, in a sense, pulled from his heart this inner, this deep, rich inner life in order to create woman. Now, when you look at a woman, Mark, it makes sense. For example, Ooh. women are much more interior in touch with their feelings, more interior, if you will, than men. Their reproductive organs are in the inside of their bodies. Uh, women speak, uh, use uh, three times as many words per day as men do. So they're much more vocal. See, they're much more interior, emotional, more connected with, with the depths of themselves by the very nature of how God created them. But then there's this outer life of God. Um, and we call that the oikoinomia, the economy uh, of salvation. In other words, the working of salvation. So in other words, how does God then penetrate the world? How does God enter into human existence? And he did so through, in the Old Testament, through prophets mm -hmm. through kings through rulers through leaders like Moses and uh, uh David and Solomon and and Elijah and Amos and Micah and all the different prophets but then he fulfilled he came to us fully in Jesus Christ the word became flesh and dwelt among us so now this inner life of God becomes exteriorized if you will in the person of Jesus Christ he sent that second person of the trinity to become incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, to teach us about God. So God works with us. He enters into human history in this, in a sense, in this exterior kind of way to, to uh, show us who he is and to bring us into his life. So I would say that's where the, the, the male part of God comes into play. So when it says male and female who created them, the image and likeness of God, Isha and Isha, in Hebrew, I think, that inner and outer life of God, if you will, mm -hmm. again, using human yeah. analogies uh, is, is where that comes from. That's actually really interesting. And we often hear a woman referred to as the heart of the home and the heart of the family and things like that. So to say that she's sort of exactly God's heart, it, it really correlates well, doesn't it? Now, exactly. And we say yeah. women's the heart of love. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, 
when, when it comes to, okay, so this is, we're created male and female in God's image in this way. What is now then our role as male and female? Okay. So now we need to move to Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter two, it says, God put man in the garden to till and to keep it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in, in the second Genesis account of creation, man, Adam, is is a male figure. Okay. In fact, it says Ha-Adam in Hebrew, which is the man. So the definite article is there, meaning one man. Um, so in putting him in the garden to till and to keep it, and those words are Abad and Shamar in Hebrew. So Abad means a work that's in the form of service. And shamar means to protect and defend. So God put man in the garden. He's giving his purpose, his, his, his meaning, his vocation, his calling. Serve, protect, and defend everything I am entrusting to you. Right? So he's giving his purpose for existence. Um, uh, to, you know, every, to serve, protect, and defend. That's, that's his mission and goal. But if we're made in the image and likeness of God then man by himself makes no sense because Mm -hmm. God himself exists as a Trinity, as a communion, as a family of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So humanity in imaging God must also be a family, right? And so man by himself makes no sense. So God puts the man to sleep. Well, first of all, he says, I have to make a helper fit for him, right? Helpmate, ezera konegdo in Hebrew which means someone who stands opposite or parallel to you, who helps, aids, assists, surrounds, protects, and defends in battle. Mm. Right? So God wanted to create a battle partner for him. And the battle is going to be against sin and death, and they fight together uh, as one. Right, The two of them fight together as one, as one family of faith. Um, and so then God goes about creating this woman by putting them to sleep, taking out a rib, building up the woman, and then... Um, bringing her to the man. The man wakes up and sees her and he makes a beautiful exclamation, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you know, um, to, he's just, he's just so um, awe inspired to see her and and to see how she compliments him that he, he yells out these beautiful words, acknowledging her presence. And, and and although although she's similar to him, she's very different than him and brings a beautiful complementarity to his own being as a man. Now, we, you've discussed there that uh, the roles of man to till and keep the garden and to protect, but that's what's entrusted to him. Now, obviously, very quickly, that didn't happen. Now, we do say that the original sin that's also referred to as the sin of Adam, and people have argued, but it was Eve that took the fruit, and she was the one that tricked Adam after she took the fruit, so why is it the sin of Adam? So this, is, this goes back to that whole role of protecting the woman, doesn't it? Yes, exactly right. So, so you have to ask yourself then, why does he go? At, why does Satan go after the woman first? You know, because it's not because she was weaker than him, not because she wasn't as strong as him, not because oh, I'll just go to the easier target first. No, he goes after her because remember, in the order of creation, the woman is created last, mm-hmm. not second as an afterthought after man is created. No, sure. she's created last because. She is the life giver and the life bearer because after he creates her, that's the end. God says, now it's time to rest. So she's really the pinnacle, the high point of God's creative activity is, is her. It's this beautiful woman, you know? So when, so Satan goes out there, cause remember he's the author of death. 
So he has to go after the one who gives life. And that's why he goes after her. He asks her some questions that confuse her. Um, and then, then uh, but she goes, well, if we, if we you know, touch the tree or eat the tree, we're going to die. Now, remember, the word death, mavet, in Hebrew means to cut yourself off from the life of God, mm-hmm. right? And by the way, by the way, just a little note here for, for, uh, uh, for everyone out there. Um, the, the word in Greek is thanatos. So in first, for example, first John chapter five, when it talks about mortal and venial sin, more, the word for mortal sin there is thanatos, which is the same word in the Septuagint, the Greek old Testament for the word right here for, for death. And that's where Marvel, you know, the, the Marvel movies, that's where they got the name Thanos from, you know, that guy who snaps his finger and everything dies. Yeah. Cause Thanos is short for thanatos, which means death. So, um, so, but it was interesting He's having a conversation with her. And so you think when he says, oh, you will not die for God knows when you eat of it, the fruit of the tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Well, see, it's her fault because he's talking to her. See, and she did. She took the apple, uh, took the fruit and she brought it to her husband. Hold on. Hold on. Here's the thing. In English, if I say you, I could mean you as an individual or I could mean a collective you mm-hmm. like a group of people are you. Uh, the only way you can tell is the context. In other languages, there's different words for the use. Mm-hmm. For in Spanish, right? If I say two, that's mm-hmm. you, individual. If I say ustedes, that's you, group of people. Same thing in Hebrew. When it says you will not die for when you eat of it, your eyes are open, you will be like God. It's plural. That mm-hmm. means he's talking to both of them. That means he was standing right there. So when she took the fruit of a, he should have protected and defended her by stopping her from eating the fruit. Yep. And notice it wasn't till they both ate that they both fell. It wasn't that she ate, then she fell and tempted him. No, look what the look what the word of God says is after they both ate, then it says that their eyes were open right. and they saw yep. they were naked. Only after they both ate. Why? Because they were one flesh. They were united in that bond of life-giving communion with God. And when they chose themselves and their and their pride over God, that's when that was broken and they fell into the uh, mortal sin, which is the original sin. Yeah. And then not only was it that Adam stood by and let Satan destroy his wife in this instance, but then when God asked him of it, he blamed her. So, so he actually tried right. to shift the blame completely. So he, he actually compounded it then, didn't he? Exactly. And which which gets to the point of what we're talking about today. Because notice the first thing after the fall, they knew they were naked. And so they covered themselves. Right. Because when they were when they were naked before the fall, they were looking at each other through God's eyes. They were seeing each other the way God sees them. Now, with without with the fault, with sin coming into the picture, now they see each other as objects for pleasure and gratification. Now, this is where we get the roots of pornography and contraception mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all these uh, uh, human trafficking, all these different ways of looking at someone and not seeing God in that person, but looking at them for an object to be exploited, to be used for my purposes, for my pleasure and gratification, for my financial gain, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. This is the very heart and the root of all of that right here in the, in the book of Genesis. And of course, as you part, uh, uh, pointed out, Mark, after the fall, God is looking for them. He can't find them. 
And when he does find them, he goes, it, it goes uh, you know, we hid ourselves because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? Oh, no. The tree. We talked about this. And what does he do? He blames her. The woman who you put here, what happened to bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? Now he's like, it's your fault. And then what does she do? Following her husband's example, she blames the snake. It's yeah. his fault. See, but the thing is, all three of them get punished. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we've now, just in that little discussion, we've actually painted a pretty good picture of how God created man and woman, what his intention was and how he views them. And we need to consider how to return to that. It's really difficult with where the world's fallen to, to somehow get back to that. But we, we've got to start somewhere and, and try and reverse uh, reverse the trend. So we, we really need to consider how to look through God's eyes when it comes to way we view man and woman and creation. Um, I would think that possibly a good clue to doing this is what we see in, well, from, from the men's perspective now, speaking um, from the perspective of a man now looking at a woman through God's eyes, a good way to, to, to start, this might be the Song of Songs. Now, in chapter 4, verse 9, you've got that line, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. Now, maybe seeing a woman, any woman, as our sister first, a sister in Christ, before anything else, maybe that would really impact the way any future interaction or relationship might develop. And, you know, the problem that we face in the world is that Satan despises the way God created us in, as male and female and how we were created to be naked and not ashamed from the beginning. And he does everything he can to bring about a spirit of disrespect and use when it comes to our relationships. So let's spend some time discussing some of the big hurdles that we have to face as we get to that. And I think a good, uh, a good starting point from the male perspective, and you know that's the perspective I bring to the table here, would be to see, like we say in the Song of Songs, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. So can you speak a little bit about that verse and, and maybe how that impacts how we move forward? Yes, exactly. So um, again, returning to this, this idea of seeing a woman, it's not just with the eyes that are uh, on the side of your head, right in front of your in front of your your head, it's seeing with the eyes of your heart, mm -hmm. right? It's seeing her spiritually through a different lens, the lens that God sees someone through. Because your dignity and self worth doesn't depend on uh, exterior factors, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, so, for example, um, we talk about that beautiful verse from the Song of Songs. You know, uh, my sister, my bride, not not your sister, like biological sister, but your sister in Christ, right? Your mm -hmm. sister in, in relationship with God. You know, it's this beautiful spiritual dimension. And so we and Mark, the, boy, you're hitting on some things here today, because this is the problem that we're seeing in our culture today. We're allowing exterior factors in the culture to define who I am as a man and a woman, you know, Um and there's a lot of confusion around that right now. So what we need to return to is the idea that what defines me as a man is my relationship with God. So my color, my race, who I'm in relationship with, um, you know, uh, so, uh, exterior societal factors, uh, social constructions, none of those define who I am. Because what defines me is what we just talked about. This idea that God created me for a purpose as a man to serve, protect, and defend. 
The woman is the very heart of God's love. Her openness and receptivity that perfectly complements the man's, um, uh, the, the way the man is created with, with God, this interior and exterior life of God coming together as one. That's where that beautiful complementary that shows forth the very nature of God himself in both the man and the woman relating to each other, but relating to each other in a complementary way through um, the spiritual aspect. So for example, you have um, many saints like St. Teresa uh, of the Cross and uh, St. Teresa Benedicta and St. Uh, John of the Cross. Mm-hmm. Right. So these two beautiful saints, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, uh, very deeply contemplative saints, you know, um, but but again, they weren't in any kind of, uh, you know, physical relationship, but they saw each other spiritually. Right. They, they were brother and sister. They were in, in a sense in love with each other in a spiritual sense, because it's the love that God has for them that they have for each other. And that's, that's the starting point. See, but we, but the problem is we've gotten over-sexualized in our culture today so that every, every interaction between a man and a woman, um, you know, the, the, the prevailing factor here is, okay, it, it's going to lead to some kind of physical interaction. And that's just, that's just not true. Um, whenever I see a woman, I want to see her through God's eyes. I want to see what God sees when mm. he looks at her. You know, because that's where her beautiful divine identity comes from. You know, the, the physical attributes uh, aside, I think every single woman is beautiful. Every single one. Because they image God's, that beautiful interior life of God. So when I look at a woman, I want to see that beautiful interior life, that uh, the way that the, the person, the Trinity interact with each other. I want to see that same loving communion and intimacy within the heart of a woman. And that's why I don't look at pornography. And that's why I don't contracept. It's not because the church is saying, you can't do that. No, it's saying, how can we begin to see each other the way God sees us? Don't, by, by eliminating those things from our lives that, that the devil is put in place there to try to destroy my very heart toward that, that beautiful feminine, uh, uh, f- beautiful femininity that God has created in woman. I think that's an interesting point you made just before when you talk about the saints and the way that they, they can look at in- each other interiorly. I think it, it actually goes, it speaks to the point that we need to be connected with our own interior to be able to see someone for who they're for who they are at that level, if we're not connected ourselves to our own interior self, and everything is just exterior, it's going to become superficial, and that's I think why we then look at people and look at the world with that lens. So it's it's a matter of also getting our interior life straight, our connection to God, and, and that interior life first and foremost. That's the priority, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Th- that's why we have to have a deep interior prayer life like look, for example um uh you know when i i see women and i i look her wow man she's beautiful right but which is great because i think we need to admire beautiful things right god created so many amazing beautiful things in the world mountains and rivers and lakes and oceans and and, and women just to be honest i mean so looking at a woman and, and recognizing her beauty there's nothing wrong with that um it's just like acknowledging a beautiful sunset uh, you know, a beautiful coral reef uh, in the ocean, right? The, the things that God created are beautiful, um, but 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 they're beautiful because we see them 
the way God sees that moment. So when you're immersed in a deep and rich prayer life, when your heart is connected with God's heart, that allows you to see things in the world, to interact with things in the world, to use the things and the people of the world in a way that's commensurate with the will of God, right? Mm -hmm. Always looking to seeing what's the best, what's the best in the other person? What can I do to bring out the best in this other person? How can I, how can I make a gift of myself to this other person? That's the way we need to see that. Cause if we don't, then we have, then we start to use the other person to exploit the other yeah. person for my own gain. And, and that's, we get to all kinds of trouble in our culture and society today. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you addressed a couple of those troubles that you're speaking of just before when you mentioned pornography and you mentioned um, contraception. So why don't we just take a look at these now um, specifically, and we'll start with pornography. So in this day and age of, you know, it's, it's like an instant connectivity worldwide. It feels like this problem has absolutely exploded. It's nearly out of control now. So can you give us a bit of an explanation of the impact that pornography is now having on the world? And then maybe we can talk about some solutions that we can offer to try and get men on track. And, and I'll state here, I know that this is not just a male problem. Right. Um, it's something that women struggle right. with as well. But, you know, like I said before, we're, we're giving the perspective of the, the male perspective for this discussion today. So maybe you can identify some of the big hurdles that we're facing in this area and maybe go through... Um, some some solutions that we can offer as well. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about the, the the male and female aspect that what I think what makes pornography attractive. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um pleasure, let's let's just get this straight. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Pleasure's pleasure is a good thing. God gives us pleasure um because he wants us to experience some of the joy that he experiences when he created us. So when you eat something like a really good meal and you're just like, oh, God, that's good, right? So mm -hmm. the eating of the food raises your heart and your mind to God, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, same thing with, with the conjugal act and, and sexual intimacy, you know, expressed in, in the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. Not, beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is pleasure is something God uses as a means to our ultimate end. So pleasure is one of the things that God uses that points us and directs our hearts and our minds toward him. Mm -hmm. See, the, the, toward the, what St. Thomas Aquinas called the sonum bonum or the greatest good, right? But, but the problem is what's happened when we don't have that interior life that you talked about, Mark, that, that prayer life, that immersion in God, that our minds always focus on, on the things of God, as St. Paul says, then pleasure is taken out of its proper context as a means to our ultimate end. And it's taken into the culture. And now pleasure becomes an end in itself. Mm -hmm. Pleasure is now your God. So everything in your life, instead of being directed toward God, is directed toward this pleasure. And when that happens, we cannot see the heart of God in the person standing in front of us. Now we see that person as an object, as a thing as a non-person. And now when we see people like that, we strip them of their humanity, right? There's this dehumanization process that happens in pornography where we no longer see the person as my equal. I see the, this person as someone to be used and exploited. Um, and, and, and for us, is, why is that particular? It's, again, it's a problem for both men and women, but particularly for us approaching this mark as men, 
is that remember we're ex- we have this more exterior characteristic of God, right? So mm-hmm. we're much more tactile. We're much more visual, right? And so we're much more in touch with our senses as far as our exterior senses. And so pornography stimulates all of those things in us as men. And so what happens when we're uh, therefore when we're stressed, uh, when we're anxious. Uh, when we're um, trying to deal with sadness, when we're, 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 we uh, we want to feel better. So mm. instead of like going to a gym, instead of uh, doing some form of exercise, instead of doing some, instead of immersing ourselves in prayer, like the chaplain, the divine mercy, the rosary, or other things, the easiest thing is to is to feel better, physically better, and and, and to feel pleasure. And so the quickest way to do that is pornography. And mm-hmm. it becomes very addictive because it releases the same chemicals in your brain as when you take cocaine or metamphetamines. Mm-hmm. You know, it releases the same kind of chemicals, neurochemicals in your brain. So it has the same effect. The more you look at porn, the more you need to get the same effect. See, so that, that, and that's how it becomes addictive. This is a drug just like any of those other things you mentioned. It's something that if you, if you develop a reliance, it's very hard to step away. Yes, yes, it and, is. and we've seen the world with so many addictions, not just pornography, but all drug addictions, addictions to alcohol. It, it really just does kill the life in us, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it kills the life of God in you. Yeah. That's is absolutely what it is. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many emails I get from young men. Um, I, I received one not too long ago from a man in his 20s, like he's 22 years old, 23. And he was saying he no longer desires to have any physical intimacy with another person. Because he's so used to looking at porn that mm. that literally killed his desire for intimacy with another human being. That that's from the devil. Yeah, that that's from the devil. To des- not to want to have an interaction with another person, you know. But that's what pornography does. When it kills God's life in you, then you're dead. Then you're a zombie, right? You're, you're the living dead, just like all these yeah. zombie things I've been seeing on television, right? I mean, <laughs> you're just walking around like a like a zombie. Yeah. But that's, that's not cool. who we are in God, you know. Um, so and, and we and that's why uh, what we're talking about here is so important to focus on this, on this beautiful interior life uh, and exterior life with God through a life of prayer, through a life of cooperating with the sacraments, through reconciliation, through nurturing ourselves with the Eucharist, sustaining that Eucharistic fervor and desire and adoration. All those things will lead us to deeper intimacy with God. Absolutely. Now, specifically back on pornography, what are a couple of solutions that we can offer people out there as an antidote for the mess they may have gotten themselves into? What can we give them? Like what, what ideas and, and solutions can you offer? Yeah. So I, I would say a couple of things. Um, first of all, you have to understand what your triggers are. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what your triggers, in other words, what's going on in your life that makes you even want to look at pornography in the first place? So. Um, no, like I said, I'm, I don't have any temptations for, for pornography. Thanks be to God, because I know that is a that is a grace from God. Trust me. But I'm not stupid. I could be tempted. Okay, and, and I know what my my triggers are. So for me, it's um well back when my before menopause, right? My when my wife we were still actively having children and stuff. Um, you know, it's it's uh when she's on her menstrual cycle, and we're therefore we're unable to engage in conjugal act. And so, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm working late on my computer. So here I am a little bit sexually frustrated. I'm working late on my computer. And all of a sudden that, that temptation comes into your mind. Well, you know, you really can't have sex. So just look at this instead. 
you know, see that that taste starts to creep in, you know. And so when those things happen, when you feel that temptation coming on, first of all, understand what your triggers are and avoid those triggers. So what I did, I just went to bed earlier. I stayed mm-hmm. away from the computer while my wife was on her was having her her menstrual cycle. I would just stay away from the computer late at night. I just go to bed earlier or, you know, just or, or stay up with my wife and we'll play, um, you know, uh, crosswords or play some kind of backgammon or some kind mm-hmm. of game like that. You know, um, avoid those triggers. But when you feel that temptation coming over you, that's when you ask God to enter into the picture. So you start praying the Our Father. You you know start praying a Hail Mary. It's, you know, prayer to Saint Michael the Archangel. You ask Jesus and Mary and Saint Michael to enter into that temptation with you. And through the and I would say to Our Father as slowly as possible, thinking about every word that's coming out of your mouth and the Hail Mary, and the St. Michael prayer. And then you'll notice that, that that temptation will start to go away because you're calling upon the name of the Lord. You're calling upon the intercession of his Blessed Mother. The most powerful intercessor that we have in heaven is the Blessed Mother. You ask asking St. Michael, the one who, along with his fellow archangels, casted uh, the t- demons, uh, and Satan, out of heaven in the book, uh, book of Revelation chapter 12. And, and so you have all of them fighting with and for you. I would also go to adoration regularly, go to confession regularly, and get some good spiritual direction from a good holy priest. Um, and, and so that, that help you um, to discover what those triggers are and work on some things within yourselves. And he, I'm sure the priest will give you some spiritual exercises that will help allay and hopefully ultimately douse those desires for uh, for pornography. You actually raised a really interesting point there as well, something completely unrelated when you mentioned spiritual direction, and that can be a whole other podcast, is how to find a good spiritual director uh, and how to know what you're looking for and then know know when you've found it. So that, that's a topic for a whole other day, but I think that's really interesting because I hear that yeah. a lot from people that, oh, I don't know who to go to, I don't know who I can work with. And so, yeah, definitely a topic for down the road. Um, the other thing I would like to mention there as well is, and you hear people like your Simon Carrington's, your Jason Everts, your Matt Frads of the world talk about uh, your accountability software. So things like Covenant Eyes is, is the big uh, one that yes. most people seem to know about. I would yeah. highly recommend that if this is a struggle in your life, um, follow the links from any of these guys and, 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 and get this onto your devices. And uh, I think this can be a really useful tool as well. No, absolutely. Yeah, because we, you know, we have to use modern technology. I mean, technology is not bad, but it's a tool. It's a tool. And so there are some very good tools out there that can help you in this struggle uh, against pornography as well. So I would absolutely recommend Covenant Eyes or any one of those other ones as from the folks that you mentioned who are doing some outstanding work in this area of, yeah. uh, of fighting against the, the plague, really, the plague of pornography and human trafficking, which, which is fueled by pornography. Absolutely. Now, I don't have any promo codes to offer you, but I know if you listen to any of these these names that I mentioned, you can get promo codes and get free trials and take a look at it first. So I would definitely recommend taking a look at that uh, and, and seeking it out because I think it can be a real game changer there. Um, another massive topic that you touched on right at the start, Deacon, was that one of, of contraception. Um, and it, it basically, when, when, when a man is, is contracepting, and obviously it's the couple, but when it's the man that's facilitating that, uh, he's disrespecting or using a woman. Now, this is a problem that does go both ways, and the mentality can be present can be it can present itself through the man or through the woman, or be present in both at the same time. 
Um, but it really is the man's role here to stand up and lead when it comes to, to stamping out this. And it's an intrinsically evil act. There's, there's no time when contraception is appropriate for the sake of avoiding a pregnancy. And so can you explain a little bit about the prevalence of this problem, also why it's intrinsically evil, and then let's talk about some solutions for this one as well. Okay. So there's two dimensions of, the, of, of human sexuality or, or the purpose for, for sex, right? Um, unitive, well, th- well, three. There's unitive uh, and procreative, right? Um, so there's this unitive aspect is bringing the, the, the husband and wife together, uh, which, which binds their union. In fact, um, after you get married, the, uh, the, the marriage is not, cons- it's considered valid sacramental marriage. Once you get married in church with a priest or a deacon and, and, but it's not until you consummate the marriage that the marriage becomes indissoluble in the mm-hmm. eyes of the church. Okay. So that, that the, the union is extremely important there. Um, because, and the other thing is it's a command from God, right? He says, be, be, uh, be fruitful and multiply. It's, it's para in Hebrew. It means be open, right? And so mm-hmm. you can translate that God's as God's first command is be open to life. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 88, because of your love, give me life and I will do your will. Right? So love and life are two things that God never intended to be separated because that's how God expresses his love for us is by giving us life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if we're made in the image likeness of God, the man and the woman come together again in this beautiful union, just like the, the love between the father and son generates a third, which is the Holy Spirit, who gives love, life, intimacy, communion back to the father and the son. Again, just by analogy, the father and the mother uh, produce uh, in this beautiful act of, of conjugal love produces children, a third who give their love life intimacy communion back to their parents. So, so again, the family on earth is the image and likeness of family in heaven. And so it's also respecting just the way that a woman is made by respecting her body, you know, respecting her fertility as God made it. You know, a woman can't get pregnant all the time. In fact, there's just a, actually a very small window every month where women can get pregnant. So what you what we what you're doing is by using for example natural family planning, you're not disrupting the plan that God has. So when you use contraception you're using a a physical barrier or you're using a pill or or some other kind of uh device that uh breaks the communion between love and life. Right? That it causes this this separation, this 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 rift. Uh, and when you when you cause that separation of love and life, there's an emptiness and a void. And what do we fill that emptiness and void with as human beings? So we don't like to have that space in our hearts and in our lives. We fill it with pleasure. We fill mm-hmm. it with drugs, alcohol, work, pornography, all those kinds of things to fill the void between love and life. And the only thing to pull that back together again is a deep, rich, intimate relationship with God. Now, what about natural family planning? Wasn't that contraception too? Is that the same thing? No, because doing something is not the same as doing nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Because in contraception, what you're doing is you're, you're deliberately obfuscating and, and um, uh, violating this, this relationship between love and life in that conjugal act. Now, the idea is not to have as many children as possible. I mean, you know, that, that's not what the church is saying, but the church is saying you should be definitely be open uh, to life for sure. So what you're doing in natural family planning, you're just not using the period 
in a woman's fertility cycle where she could where she's fertile. You're mm-hmm. you're, you're you're saying, well, no, okay, we, we we choose not to participate in this time of fertility. That, so doing nothing is not is not the same as doing something. You're not interrupting that that beautiful act as well. What you're doing, you're saying, no, we're choosing not to use this time right now. You know, um, in, in order because you may be ha- you may have to space your children for some reason financially. Um, uh, you know, your wife may have had some physical trauma during the last birth, and so you have to be careful. There may be some genetic diseases and factors that may be in place. You know, so there's all kinds of things that that, that cause you to 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 want to space out your children, but you're still open uh, mm-hmm. to life. And if you have conjugal relations outside of that fertile period, there's still a chance that you may get pregnant. It's very small. But there's still a chance it may happen. But you're open to that, so you're open for that, you know. So there's something very different between natural family planning, which respects and honors a woman's body and how God created uh, uh, our, our bodies to, uh, to participate in His life-giving act uh, of bringing forth life into the world, and an act of contraception, which cuts that uh, act off and turns the other person then to see them as an as an object and not in the image and likeness of God. And basically, in that point, then you're saying, I give you myself completely, except for my fertility, which isn't a complete gift anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I, I'm giving you everything of myself except for this. But yeah. it has to be unconditional because God's love for us is unconditional. Again, yeah. that doesn't mean that, well, you know, you have to have 50,000 kids. No, no one's saying that. But uh, the decision of how many kids a couple has up to that couple, their discernment with God. You know, they, they definitely should be open to as, as many kids as, as they as they believe that God wants them to have. And there's something very beautiful about that gift. Like, for example, I'll just get a little personal here. My wife and I lost our first child during the first year of our marriage. And so, which was very difficult. Mm-hmm. So it took a couple of years for us, but particularly my wife, to recover from that. And so... When we started having kids again, right? We had boom, then a t- boom, then another twins, and they just kept coming after that, right? Yeah. Uh, we were we were still very open, but because of the trauma of losing a child, you know, um, that we had to create some space for us for us to recover, so we can continue on with our with our marriage. You know what I'm saying? The the, yeah. the, the, the re- kind of rebuild that that that. Uh, uh, that sense of loss, you know, to recover from that before we can go on to be open. And now we love our kids. Now our kids are much older now, right? We have 25, 20, almost 23. And then the twins are 20, you know, Thank so you they're, they're older now. Yeah. They're adults now, you know, so we're relating much different to them, but yeah. you know, uh, the, when we look back on that time, you know, um, we, 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 we love the fact that we're open to what God wants to do in our lives. And, and we have the beautiful children to show, to show forth God's love. Uh, again, God's love is so powerful that it overflowed into the universe and everything that the universe exists as an overflow of God's love. And same thing, the love between uh, a husband and wife is so strong and so tangible. It's so real that it actually becomes another person, right? It becomes a third in in, in the form of a child. That's such a beautiful expression of God's love. And and what we're doing though, in, in using NFP for that purpose, and NFP can be used to achieve a pregnancy as much as it can be used to to abstain from a pregnancy for a whatever time period, but we are using the genius of God's creation that he has revealed to us in our understanding of, in this instance, the the fertility cycle of a woman. And we're using that 
in connection, in conversation with God to grow our family. And that's very different to saying to God, I'm turning my back on the way, the genius way that you've created us and our fertility, and I'm going to use a barrier. That, like, it, it's just, it's completely different, a completely different mentality. Yeah. And, and what drives that, Mark? Fear. Yeah. Fear. Yeah. Oh, I'm afraid that we get pregnant. Like, you know, uh, we're not going to have enough money. We're not going to have that. I mean, it's fear that drives all of this. And what does Jesus tell us in 1 John 4, 16? Perfect love casts out all fear, right? God is love. If he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him, you know, we have to trust in God's love uh, and, and God will never give us any more than we can handle. Yes, yep. things may be difficult because picking up the cross and following Jesus is difficult, but God will always give us the grace to, to, to get through difficult times because um, his love and his will is always leading us to perfection. So, um, perfecting us in him, perfecting us in Christ. And mm -hmm. what's that sign of perfection? It's the cross, you know? Yeah. So, so life is not always easy. It's not look at the life of the Holy family. They raised God uh, and, and they endured so many things in their own family life, mm -hmm. um, but they were not spared the hardships and the realities of family life. And all of that is part of it. So this, yeah. and it's all about love and sacrifice. And that's what NFP is. It's, it's about love and sacrifice that builds up the family in God. Whereas contraception tears down the family. And actually, you mentioned the word fear, and that's just triggered a memory. We always, I was having a conversation with someone recently um, along the lines of marriage preparation. And the whole conversation went to the point of, okay, well, I've got to finish my study. We've then got to pay off all the debts for the loans, for the education. And then we've got to get ourselves set up. And, and so we don't know when we can have children. And I would think at that point, if you're at this point, you're not ready to be getting married because getting married means being open to life. And if you've got all these barriers, are you in a position to take that step as a couple and to actually enter into that relationship with God as the, the third party and with his plan of bringing life into the world? And, and it really disappoints me. And then you go along the lines of, and we want the big expensive wedding, and then we want the, the fancy wedding cars and the overseas honeymoon and but then if that's the reason you're delaying having children, that's a very questionable, <laughs> if you like. I mean, I don't want to judge the thought of any particular person, but objectively, I think that's a very questionable approach to this whole thing. And how are you entering into this union of a life-giving union if you are actually having all of these things that could potentially delay your ability to bring life through this union? <laughs> No, no, you're exact. You're exactly right. Because um, if you think like that, you'll never have kids. Yeah. Because you, you're always thinking, okay, we have to wait. We have to wait until this. We have to wait until that. We have to wait until that. I mean, it's just like anything else, Mark. When people are afraid, like say they have this great idea, they want to be an entrepreneur. You know, they they but they want to work for themselves. They have this great idea. They find this niche that they think you know people will really go for this. You know, this is something awesome. I want to put my energy into this, but they're afraid. They're afraid mm. of failure. They're afraid of disappointment. They're afraid of what people will say. Mm -hmm. There are all these things, and they never bring that idea to fruition because fear is holding them back. Same yeah. thing in families. You know, they're, they're, you know, we're afraid of children. 
Like as if children were going to like be the end of our family or something like that. Like, Oh no, we're going to have more kids. That means we can't go to France this year for vacation or we can't, we can't do this. No. What does God love open you to? Now, what does it prevent you from doing? What yeah. does God's love in the, in these children open you to do? How, how are you being more receptive? How are you being more loving? How are you yeah. being more generous with God's grace? That's, that's the question we need to be considering. Yeah. And the other thing you, you raised right at the start of this little discussion around the topic of contraception, and it's a pastoral concern here, a question. I was listening to a podcast recently, and I'm not going to say which one because I wasn't completely satisfied with their answer on this, but you, you raised the point that, you are, it's not an indissoluble marriage until that marriage has been consummated. Now, if a couple were married in a church, so it's a sacramental marriage, but then we're using contraception right from the start, has that marriage been consummated if contraception is being used? Now, they've, they've partaken of the act as such, but with that barrier. So has that marriage been consummated at that point? See that 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 is a question that theologians go back and forth with. Yeah, I, per, per, I would say no, because uh, I, I think you have to be open. I think the contraceptive act is not being open. So it's very interesting, Mark. Here, here's 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 the thing. Say say for example that couple got married, okay, mm-hmm. and 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 um, the woman uh, had bef- before they got married, she had u- uterine cancer, mm-hmm. right? She she, she and and. The only way to eradicate eradicate the cancer 100% is to remove her uterus. Mm-hmm. Okay? So she can't have kids. They would still have to consummate the marriage in order for the marriage to be indissoluble in the church. So the indissolubility doesn't mean that you get pregnant. It doesn't mean that you have to have children. It means you have to be open to the possibility of life. And so that's what that act, even though she doesn't have a uterus, you're, by doing the act, you're, you're saying, I am open. I'm being open right now to this. You see, that's the, it's the, you see that that's the thinking there, right? It's the intent. It's the intent with which you're acting. So if you're contracepting right from the beginning, you're not open. I I don't think you're living what the church is intending when it talks about an indissoluble marriage, where you make a complete gift of yourself to to the other person. Yeah. You're not open to that. So I, I would say I would be in the camp, the theological camp, that would say that the marriage is not indissoluble because you're you're using purposely using contraception uh, with the with the purpose of using each other for pleasure and not mm-hmm. being open uh, to the possibility of of life. And that was the the side that I would come down on. But this particular podcast hesitantly came down on the side of possibly the other side, but we're not really sure. I thought, well, yeah, because I, I again, this is something this it's is something that's one. debated. Between yeah. moral theologians, but again, uh, you know, I would look at the spirit of what of what the church is teaching here. Yeah, you know, and that's what Jesus did. I mean, because they were following the law. That's what he criticized the Pharisees on. They were so set on the law that they lost the spirit of what the law was about. Mm-hmm. You know, and so Jesus was reminding them that they have to live the spirit, not just the letter, but the spirit of the law as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing you brought up in that response is that surgery, leaving that woman in that condition. Another question would be, is that an impediment to, impediment to marriage if they're not get married at that point when the surgery happened? Now, obviously, if they are married and they can um, partake of that, that um, procreative, not procreative, but at least a sexual act, 
that the marriage is still valid. But if this is something before marriage, does that become an impediment to marriage because you aren't able to actually do that? And you know, we're go- we're going way off track here, and maybe that's no, a whole no, no, well, no. But- Again, the the idea is that you you want to be open. It's not yeah. her fault that she had cancer. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just like a man having testicular cancer, and they have mm-hmm. to remove his his you know uh, move one of his testicles or something like that, and so you know his sperm count is much much lower. Um, the idea is that you're open to life. That you that that for example, in order for that to be indecisible, a, a man has to be able to to be able to um, be aroused sexually. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's why the church will say take Viagra. <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that why because that medicine helps the act mm-hmm. to become consummated you see yeah. what i'm saying but that but the consummation doesn't mean that you're going to become pregnant it just means that you're open that you're using the way that god intended that act to be used to be open yeah. to life yeah. the fact that she doesn't have a uterus doesn't mean that she's open to life that she's not open to life it's not yeah. her fault she had cancer but mm-hmm. she's still but they still have to be able to engage in the act with the intention of of doing and and um uh, of that uh unitive and procreative dimension of, okay. of that act so, so that that's that's the idea there so the the clarification here is so long as you can engage in the act with an openness to God's will the impediment would then be would become an impediment if you couldn't engage in the act Correct. So you might Correct. engage in the act, not expecting any um, any pregnancy, any life to come from that act, but you would be open but, to it if God willed it. But if you can't even for, engage in it, that's the impediment. For, for example, Mark, say um, uh, I, I just ran into a couple not too long ago at a parish mission. Both their spouses died. Okay, mm-hmm. and they uh, and they were both parishioners in this parish, and so they found each other. But in their in their like, I think they were in the early sixties. Okay, sure. both were married. I mean, both you know, beautiful spouses, beautiful marriages, children, all of that. So now they're both married, but she's in menopause. I mean, she, you see what I'm saying? So, so they still have to be able to engage in the act, but there's there's no children can come from that. But that's not the point. The point is that they're still open to God's will in 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 engaging in the act, which still has the, both the unitive and procreative dimensions because they're open to it. Just because there's a physical thing that, that, that that's not either of one of their faults, it, mm. right? But the natural process that happens in a woman's body, the, the openness is still there to complete the act according to the will of God as God ordained that act to be carried forth. Yeah. That's yeah. the idea there. As I said before, I thought we'd go off on a tangent, but the more you spoke then, it's actually not really a tangent because if our whole discussion is themed around respecting the dignity yes. and the dignity of women, that doesn't end as we get older, does it? And that doesn't end as well, circumstances it, change. So it actually, it, it kind of does tie in with our discussion quite well if you think about it. No, it does, It does, Mark. Yeah. I've, I've been learning a lot about this because in my own situation, you know, like because men, we're we're fertile all the time. We don't have hormonal changes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have we may have some drop in testosterone, but our mm-hmm. desire is still there. A woman's desire, like ups and down and waves, you know. And when and after menopause, it goes way down, mm-hmm. you know. So now I'm in a situation where I'm like, hey, you know, I'm still you know into <laughs> this, and she's not not so much anymore. Not because she doesn't love me or anything like that, but just physically, her her chemical. Uh, hormones are in a different place because she's no longer in the in the child 
uh, bearing her body's no longer in the childbearing mode, so uh-huh. it, it dropped her or hormonal levels, right? And so uh-huh. that kind of impacted our intimacy. So, and we're working. Obviously, there's things we can uh, working around that with uh, you know uh, hormone replacements and things like that, and that which is fine. Um, but, but this is something I've been learning about because it's a little bit of a cross. Um, mm. but, but, but I also have to respect where, where, uh, women are, my wife, particularly in, in this phase of our lives, of our marriage. And I, and I'm not stupid. I know that, you know, we're not going to be as active, uh, you know, uh, sexually as we were when we were in our twenties and thirties, you know, mm-hmm. when we were in the, in the prime of our childbearing years, you know, and I knew that it was going to get to this point. You know, uh-huh. and it's just, in fact, it's going to even decline even more as we, as we get older. And I get that, you know, and I, and I'm kind of preparing myself for that, uh, as a man, but the whole thing is respecting my woman, my wife as a woman by always seeing her the way God sees her, seeing oh. every woman through God's eyes. And, and that's how I'm able to look at a woman who's beautiful, who's not my wife, acknowledge that she is beautiful and then leave it there. You know, it's mm-hmm. okay. That's wow. She's an awesome creation. God is so good. Now, now let me get to know her, right? Yep. Know her, um, you know, uh, personally. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and and not just like you know, because a lot of guys will see a beautiful woman, and then the porn movie will start playing in their mind because that's oh. all they think about when they see a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, but we, again, our whole focus we're talking about today is is seeing the woman in the image and likeness of God and recognize the presence of God, the living God, inside that beautiful woman who participates in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit in a way that we men cannot even imagine. Absolutely. Uh, like I say, I wasn't expecting that we'd go down that particular path, but I'm kind of glad that we did. And, and thank you, Deacon, for being a little bit vulnerable and and opening up about your own experience, because I think that actually ties a nice bow on our whole discussion today. And it's a good, probably a good place to leave it off, as well as the fact we're out of time anyway. But it's, it's probably a good place to leave <laughs> off to consider that this isn't just a part of life thing to consider. We have to consider this right throughout our whole life. This is not something that, that stops at a particular age or at a particular stage of life. This is something that we respect God's creation like eternally there's not a time we should stop respecting it so no that's that's a nice that's a nice place to leave off i think one thing i would like to do before we finish today is just mention a couple of resources uh, a lot of what we've been talking about is based around a, a theology of the body um well, that theology of the body topic that beautiful teaching that, that pope john paul ii gave us and, and one thing that i have been reading just recently and i'll hold that one up there for those watching it's called heaven's song Sexual Love as It Was Meant to Be by Christopher West. And what that does is it takes you through the Song of Songs and it actually relates. And that's why that initial question I had earlier on about the Song of Songs, that came from my reading of that book. But no, that, that's actually really going partway through it at the moment. So I highly recommend that as something just to go further into this particular topic. And also something um, that we could, we could offer is this one here, The Body Reveals God by Katrina Zeno. Once again, doing fantastic work in the space of theology of the body. So they're both resources that that are available. Um, so I highly recommend that you, you you seek those out and get your hands on a copy of one of those. And interestingly, actually, we've just released a theology of the body course from Katrina Zeno on our Perusia Academy. It's called a deep dive into theology of the body. It's only it's only been out a short time, but but yeah, it, as it suggests, it takes you right through it. So I think it's about a fourteen hour course 
of a whole lot of video. I think it's 20 videos over those 40 or 20 something videos, but it's a really in-depth study that was filmed when Katrina was with us here um, a while back. And that's actually the second Theology of the Body course we have in our academy. We also have an introduction to Theology of the Body, which is presented by Christopher West. So actually both of those both of those authors have actually presented courses on Theology of the Body for us in our Parisia Academy. So I would highly recommend you getting your hands on some of those resources. Deacon, have you got any final thoughts on, on today's discussion? Well, no, I would definitely say pick up those resources from Parisia Media um, to learn more about this, especially if you're doing uh, marriage preparation, mm-hmm. especially if you're uh, in a relationship and you're going through some temptations because, you know, you, you know, your, your hormones are working and you see this beautiful person there. Uh, if you're thinking about marriage, if you just want to learn more about your Catholic faith as you're driving in the car, these are incredible resources that will help you grow stronger in your faith and ultimately deeper and closer to God. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again for your time today, Deacon Harold. It's, it's been fantastic having this discussion with you. And for anyone that wants to, to know more about Deacon Harold, what he's doing, where he's traveling, for those, obviously, I've been speaking about his tour to Australia, but he's getting out and about and around the States a lot as well. So you can keep a track of his events and, and head out and see him if he's local to you. Uh, go to deaconharold.com for all of the details there. And if you want to keep track of what we're doing here at Perusia, you can go to perusiamedia.com. Thanks once again, Deacon Harold, for your time today. Thank you, Mark. Great to be with you as always. Thank you. And and thank you, everyone, for listening. We look forward to, to joining you next time on Speaking with Deacon. God bless.